Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 16. This is episode 54. Well, just ahead, a potentially huge deal for Intel. Plus, Alcoa says Europe's new climate tax could work to their advantage. And our guest, Global X's Jay Jacobs, will talk about Jacobs Engineering, which he insists is no relation. Uh huh. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you can subscribe to the Drill Down podcast. That way you'll catch every single episode. So click the follow button or the subscribe button, whatever it's called in your platform, get on it. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We talk about the business stories behind stocks and the move. And we get to talk with executive producer Isaac Webster. Always a thrill. Isaac, tell us about the three most important developments in the world of business today. And I won't interrupt. I'm just going to listen. Thanks, Corey. Let's get to it. Number one. U.S. shoppers increased retail spending in June. The Commerce Department reporting retail sales, that's a measure of purchases at stores, restaurants, and online, rising 0.6% last month compared with May. But this report also showed a larger number than previously estimated decline in spending in May. So June's increase marks a big pickup. And as we've been tracking, this this high spending comes amid an increase in inflation, which has reached its highest level in 13 years. In addition to this, a separate report shows consumer sentiment in the U.S. declined in early July amid those concerns over high inflation. Now, the next story we're watching, and we've been reporting on this from the get, electric truck startup Lordstown Motors confirming the Justice Department is probing its business, investigating matters related to its reverse merger deal last year, and investigating pre-orders for its forthcoming pickup truck, the Endurance. Now, this federal probe into Lordstown adds to the challenges facing the company as it works to launch its first model, that all-electric pickup truck. The truck is critical to Lordstown's survival as its cash burn accelerates and it confronts higher-than-expected costs on everything from parts and equipment to having to expedite shipping of some components. And finally, the Biden administration is warning American businesses about the increasing risks of operating in Hong Kong. That's as China tightens its grip on the city, causing business conditions to deteriorate. The White House cautions businesses and individuals working for them that they are subject to a restrictive national security law that Beijing imposed on Hong Kong a year ago. The advisory cites the risks of electronic surveillance without warrants and of being compelled to surrender corporate and customer data to the government. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Alcoa. Alcoa, AA. Shares have risen 172% over the past 12 months. Alcoa just reported Q2 earnings. What did we find out? So we found out a lot. Uh, Alcoa's earnings are always seen as the start of quote-unquote earnings season, which of course we know is baloney because companies report earnings all the time pretty much every day. But uh, for It's those, a tradition though. That's a traditional... It's a traditional you know, lie. It's true. Yeah. It's a traditional untruth for people who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, We're yeah. breaking those traditions on this show, damn it. <laughs> All right. Alcoa reports earnings. It's a great big company, great big important international industrial company. Of course, they make aluminum. Duh, everyone knows that. Um, they say things are picking up and picking up much faster than they expected. For example, 
they had forecast that during 2021, they would make 2.8 million tons of aluminum. Now they say they're going to ship 2.9 to 3 million tons. So that's a, you know, that's about a 10% increase uh, in what they'd said before. That's a big deal. Uh, their business is really picking up. But what I thought was super interesting was um, CEO William Opplinger, talk, I'm sorry, the CFO, talking about um, this new law in Europe, Isaac, you just told us about a couple of days ago, about this carbon tax for things that create um, a lot of bad carbon in the atmosphere. If it moves across the border in Europe, they're going to have to pay some taxes. Alcoa's looking at this thing and thinking, this actually could be good for us and help us gain market share. Here is that CFO. You know, obviously, we just started to look through the details. Um, to start at the very beginning, um, from our perspective, because of the portfolio that Alcoa operates and the fact that we are low carbon compared with much of the industry, the, the quicker we can go to a global carbon price embedded inside of the aluminum price, the better off we can be. And so as we look at around the world regionally and we think about the development of these types of mechanisms, um, on the whole, they're going to be positive for Alcoa. Um, now, when you start to look at something like the, the, European, the European border adjustment mechanism, there's a lot of details that we need to sort through to really to be able to understand what are the gives and takes. Um, however, it is a step absolutely in the right direction. It's going to help to establish the fact that there is a true difference between what is low carbon aluminum and, and higher carbon aluminum. Um, and to me, that is a very positive step forward. So uh, not what I would have expected, but these guys, uh, you know, I looked it up and indeed they have put a lot of effort into, into have lowering their carbon footprint and they say their competitors have not and uh, might be an advantage for them. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Intel. Intel, Intel, they've lost 5% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Intel? Well, big story. So Report is out that uh, Intel is exploring a deal to buy Global Foundries, uh, first broke in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's a move that would really, really accelerate their plans um, to make more chips for other companies. Uh, and indeed, it would be if, if the price is right and the deal could value of Global Foundries at as much as $30 billion, um, that could make this the largest acquisition Intel has ever done. Global Foundries is owned by um, Mabudala Investments, uh, the investment arm of the Abu Dhabi government. Uh, it's headquartered in the U.S., actually up by, um, by Saratoga near Albany, New York. And Global Founders, interestingly, was the the manufacturing side of a longtime Intel competitor, AMD. They split it off, sold the business, as we mentioned, the Abu Dhabi government investment arm. And the, not too long ago, there were questions were, you know, could Intel do what AMD had done or what Qualcomm has always been, which is just get out of manufacturing Go fabless, get rid of their, their semiconductor fabrication facilities known as fabs, fabless, not to be confused with fabulous, like you, Isaac, fabulous. But fabless semiconductors, could Intel become like that? Well, they got a new CEO this year, Pat Gelsinger, who's long spent his time at the company. They had gone and run some other companies, including VMware. He's back and he said, no way. They are not in or out, they are in with when it comes to manufacturing. Here he is speaking to investors last month. There was some period, you know, are you in or are you out? What are you going to do? We said, we are in the big way uh, for manufacturing. Uh, we've more than doubled our capacity over the last uh, few years. Uh, we are on an aggressive path to build out that manufacturing network. Uh, we use it and our own 
uh, and our use of fab, uh, fabs from foundry uh, partners to deliver this broad capability of our product line. But now we're also augmenting that with IFS, Intel Foundry Services. And as I say, we've opened the doors wide for the Intel factories, for the Intel packaging assembly test and uh, fabs. You know, we put an exclamation point on that announcement with uh, two new fabs in Arizona at uh, 10 billion each. 10 billion each. So 20 billion for two new plants. Now perhaps 30 billion for global foundries plants. Yeah, I'd say that means they are in when it comes to manufacturing. I would think so. Corey, what's your next drill down? I'm going to look at American outdoor brands. American Outdoor Brands. I don't think I'm familiar with this company. It trades under the ticker AOUT. Shares have gained over 110% year to date. What's the story with American Outdoor Brands? This is a spinoff from what used to be Smith & Wesson. And, oh, okay. Uh, they, are, they describe themselves as the industry-leading provider of products and accessories for rugged outdoor enthusiasts. What does rugged mean? I would say it means people like me. Isaac, oh. <laughs> tough guys, big tough guys. Oh yeah, they, of course. For example, I totally they see. They sell it. fishing gear under the name Bubba. <laughs> Not to, uh, in, in their investor documents, they refer to Bubba as from water to plate. Bubba provides anglers with kick-ass tools to enjoy the ultimate lifestyle of adventure. Wow, Bubba, Bubba sales are up seventy-three percent in fiscal year two thousand twenty-one. Um, these guys have a very robust business of selling stuff for hunters, fishermen, and so on. Um, not necessarily the guns or the rods or the reels, but all the other stuff that goes with it. And um, they've had a, just a fantastic year selling everything from gun vices and reloading uh, M presses to range gear to wrenches to flashlights. And they sold a lot of it online. They saw a real fast-growing business online. So the question so many companies we've had for so many companies is, are the changes we saw during the pandemic going to persist? And what is business going to look like? So these guys saw a big move to selling online. That looked like really good stuff for them because really good to high margins. And when they came out with their earnings um, uh, that they just announced, turns out, although the numbers were really solid year over year, um, their e-commerce sales looked a lot weaker than they were a year ago. And it looks like that big move to selling and buying online might have been transitory. Here is the CEO, Brian Murphy. Brian, Eric, uh, certainly we saw uh, year over year, there are much, just many more stores open at this point. I also think that retailers have, have been doing a lot of uh, hurry up offense to, to get their own retail storefronts up to speed online as well. Uh, and those would be captured as part of our traditional sales channel. So I think some of the customers that we have there have done a really good job getting up to speed. Obviously, more doors are open uh, compared to, I think, last year we had said at one point that we were tracking over 1,000 retail doors that were closed. So I think it's just the economy opening back up in, in general. So to me, that was kind of dancing around it. That was, oh, yeah, well, uh, our customers are opening up their own online stores, but they're going to buy stuff you know, uh, from us to sell online. That seemed like a little bit of a cop-out. What it seems like to me is that their online business is just not growing as fast and their customers haven't completely transitioned to buying online from American Outdoors. 
Did I say, was that, was that bad? Was that something bad about Bubba? I didn't mean to say that Bubba can't get online. Bubba can get online. And so, but maybe not as much as they had hoped. In any case, let us move on. Our guest, Global I, I think you were perfectly Jacobs. fair. I think you were perfectly fair. All right. Well, I appreciate that. I hope Bubba does too. Bubba, we're glad you're listening. Oh, Jay Bubba. Jacobs is listening. He was our guest. He's from Global X. He's going to help us drill down on Jacobs Engineering. No relation. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, let us know, bizpod.net, let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. We are joined right now by Global X's Jay Jacobs. And, you know, you thought I was self-referential. Jay has brought a company for us to look at called Jacobs. Why not? Um, Jay, glad to have you on. And first, uh, explain to us what Global X is. Well, it's great to be back, Corey. Uh, Global X is an ETF issuer based out of Manhattan. We manage over 80 different ETFs uh, with over $34 billion in assets under management. And we really specialize in thematic investing, looking at long-term disruptive trends uh, that stand to really disrupt huge parts of the global economy. And so when you look at this company, Jacobs Engineering Group, uh, based out of Dallas, uh, this is a big company. It's a $17 billion company, which got that that coveted single letter to stock ticker of J. Uh, but the, if I were to guess the theme here, I'm guessing the theme here is infrastructure. It is. And this is one of my favorite ways to do thematic investing, where you look at companies that previously were kind of considered slow moving old world companies. You know, you don't look at a, constru a construction and engineering firm and say, that's really a high growth opportunity. You know, these tend to be industrials firms, they tend to be kind of in value indexes, not really growth. But what we're seeing right now is potentially hundreds of billions, if not even trillions of dollars being directed towards US infrastructure. And the companies like Jacobs Engineering that build those infrastructure projects that are the boots on the ground really stand to benefit from that increased spending. 100% agree. And I think that it's interesting when you look at these companies, not to, you know, so you might start with a macro theme, but I think what's interesting about what you do in particular is you actually do go beyond this and pick this company among all the infrastructure companies. I think that so often the analysis we we read in the paper or, or God forbid we watch in television is, is all ships rise with the tide, but that's not the case. Some companies are in better shape. These guys are, are kind of the tail end of a real... Um, a real big change in their business and how their business works. They were in the midst of a three-year plan to redesign their business, and they're kind of at the back end of that. And yet, and, and that is to say, it looked like they were moving towards a lot more kind of consultant-based work, less sort of physical involvement in, in, in making projects happen, doing construction and so on. Uh, and but, but secondarily, well, secondarily moving away from oil and gas a little bit, even though they're based in Dallas, but maybe on a, on, a, on a third level, they were also moving more towards technology, software, and cybersecurity. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think they are also trying to kind of go from being one of these value old school companies into the new economy. And, you know, first and foremost, their bread and butter is still just building physical infrastructure. So if you want to build a highway, if you want to uh, enhance the port of Los Angeles or expand an airport with a new terminal or a new runway, Jacobs Engineering is still often the company that gets called for that kind of, again, boots on the ground project. They have 52,000 people that are doing this kind of building and engineering work. But increasingly, as you mentioned, they are realizing the direction that things are going, which is it's not just about physical infrastructure. The digital infrastructure is just as important in the 21st century. And that encompasses all different kinds of things. That's cybersecurity, that's data and analytics, uh, that's smart infrastructure, so smarter cities and improving traffic patterns using uh, you know smart devices and connected infrastructure. So I think they've done a really nice job of understanding where their bread and butter is, but also leveraging that to uh, to really transition into this new form of digital infrastructure in the future. It was also curious to me that they, they were still seeing a lot of government work and even military work. They announced a big deal last week um, that is kind of vague in what they're doing, but they're supporting uh, the B-21 bomber, the, the B-21 aircraft contract they announced last week, um, uh, awarded by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, and they're going to support what they call in the, in the press release, the planning, design, and construction of facilities and infrastructure to service the B-21, uh, specifically around the giant Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota, where, of course, there are so many. Uh, is an important nuclear facility, nuclear bomb facility for the U.S. It just shows kind of the diversity of the projects they're working on, uh, that they could be building a road or a bridge, that they could be working with the military on aircraft hangars and supporting infrastructure for uh, for the military. They are doing stuff in the private sector as well. So they're not, you know, entirely just dependent on infrastructure spending. They can get that money from other places, but they, they can cast a really wide net. There's a whole host of projects that they can tackle, which I think makes this company really interesting. Now, how do you pencil out the benefits that could accrue from an infrastructure bill if that can get through Congress? We obviously have a bipartisan um, bill coming to Congress. Whether or not that makes it through, we shall see. But uh, um, how do you start to pencil out where the revenues? Because there's a lot of, I mean, I've, you know, I've been reading a lot about this in the last week. There's just a lot of money that could be in this bill that could benefit lots of companies. But how do you try to, try to figure out how that affects Jacobs? Yeah, it is a lot of money. And, you know, a company like Jacobs is already trying to operate at 100% capacity before this bill is passed. So it's going to be an exercise in how do they take on, you know, potentially dozens of new projects, hire new people or outsource to other construction firms to help them with this. Um, but there's there's a lot of money coming in, I think, to contextualize things. Traditionally, infrastructure spending has been about 2% of GDP. And if you just use round numbers, that's usually about $400 billion a year in the United States. So this bill, if it's only $579 billion, which I think is kind of a not really fully encompassing everything that's going into these bills, uh, that's already, you know, almost double and a half of annual infrastructure spending uh, that would be spread out over eight years. So that's a huge increase um, in, in the amount of money going into infrastructure. Um, on top of that, though, that money is going to take a while to be spent. Uh, it's yeah, I've, not been like think, I've been thinking about that specifically, right? Because as, as a, you know, they talk about the trillion dollar value or whatever, and and it's all, you know, well, if you add up every year, but that is kind of important because you can't just go out. I had the terrible misfortune of dealing with some airports this weekend. Can we talk about Logan Airport in Boston? It used to be the easiest thing in the world. What a pain in the butt that was yesterday um, it, the, because it's under construction. 
Because you, you couldn't get from the rental car place to the uh, terminal, the third terminal there that in less than 45 minutes. It was insane. They were so overburdened by the current problems of COVID or, you know, as we as we wind out of the p- pandemic, the current problems with the inability to hire. So they couldn't presumably get the bus drivers to take people from one place to next. But just this sort of third world experience we have with airports in the United States, that's not a thing you, when you decide to spend the money today, you can spend it tomorrow it takes years of planning and years of, uh, um, uh, you know, bidding and so on to get these projects underway. It does. It takes years and years and years. I mean, look at any of these major infrastructure projects that are still ongoing. I mean, uh, LaGuardia has been being rebuilt for four or five years now. Uh, the big dig in Boston took, what, 10 years, 15 years to complete? Massive, right. massive project. It takes a long time. So if you want to take that money and not compare it to one year of infrastructure spending, but let's call it eight years of infrastructure spending, it's roughly a 20% increase in U.S. infrastructure spending each year for eight years. Um, that's still really meaningful in an industry that tends to operate you know, at very uh, high utilization levels. Yeah, and and again, the, the deals they're getting are big and long-term. I'm looking at another deal they signed in May for the Idaho cleanup project of the Idaho National Laboratory, that's a, a Department of Energy contract of $6.4 billion over 10 years going towards Jacobs. It's a lot of money. And if they can stack these projects and and uh, and kind of spread them out over several years, so there's, you know, they're going through different phases of these projects at different times, that would really maximize their profit opportunity because they can take their engineering teams and work on one project for a year and then go to the next project. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but if they can kind of stagger these projects as they're going through environmental review and as they're going through local and state approvals, they can really kind of enjoy that revenue tailwind for a very long time. But it it just goes back to saying this will take a really long time. There aren't that many projects that are necessarily shovel ready, just waiting for that cash to come in from the federal government. Many of these projects still have to be developed much further before the construction starts. But these guys are the ones who get hired to do that planning. It seems like they don't have to wait for the shovel to get the revenues from these guys. In fact, they are kind of uh, quite often in the pre-shovel um, uh, timing of these these giant projects. Exactly. So if that if that money suddenly becomes available and there's a project and someone says, hey, I'd like to build a bridge, Jacobs is probably one of the very first companies they would call and say, get a plan together. How does this happen? Now, it seems that a lot of their deals, well, not it doesn't seem, tw- you're right there. Yeah. Earthquakes <laughs> in Maine. Um, 25% of their revenues were in fixed bi- contract or fixed price contracts. It seems like it really limits... Um, well, number one, it limits their ability to make money. But number two, in a, in, a, in an inflationary environment where we see really rapid uh, jacks in the uh, in certain commodity costs that are kind of unpredictable, as in lumber in the last year, that might not be the best place to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think the structure of these contracts is going to be critical. I don't think anybody in this day and age would enter into a fixed contract anymore. I mean, it just wouldn't it wouldn't make sense given the uh, volatility we're seeing in commodity prices. The challenges in getting construction or just general labor to be uh, to be available to work on these projects, I think those fixed contracts go away, and that should help immunize Jacobs Engineering versus future projects. But existing projects that could be a, a headwind for them. Can I ask you? They talked about in the, in the annual report of the last year that nineteen percent of revenues were well. They give they give three categories of revenues: a technology consulting, which is seventy one percent of their business; ten percent project delivery services. I'm going to ask you to explain to me what that is. And then third, 
pass through revenue. So project delivery services, what is that? Um, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure exactly how they classify that one. Because what they're trying to do at Jacobs is they're trying to take, first of all, kind of the full ecosystem of managing a project from, like you said, from doing the environmental reviews to scoping out the project to doing the initial engineering to then doing the construction themselves or contracting that work out to then finally delivering the project to the end person. What they're trying to migrate to is kind of this digital software aspect to it. I mean, every company in the world wants a digital software aspect to it because that's where you can get recurring revenue. Uh, they can collect. So instead of just building a bridge, suddenly you have a bridge that's collecting data on users and, and riders on that bridge. They can sell that data for years and years and years going forward. And the profit margin on that data is not 4% like the rest of their business. So when you look at their different segments, the reason why that technology component is so important is because it's high margin recurring revenue that everybody in the world wants a piece of. It, it, it's such a fascinating business here. Um, when you look at the big changes they made, is that, is that over the last three years, that was really the big change, right? Was this notion that if they start to look at future revenue streams that were more technology-based, that they could get into these projects and keep some of the revenue for years to come? Absolutely. Yeah. If, if they can build that digital component, if they can be that kind of uh, AWS of infrastructure, uh, for kind of a lack of a better term, that would be an extremely valuable business for them to grow. And they're, that's where they're dedicating a lot of their growth resources to. I would imagine hiring people right there is really hard right now. That's a challenge, yes. But hiring across the entire ecosystem is a challenge. I mean, just hiring someone to help on the construction front is a challenge right now. So, I, you know, if we kind of think about the risks to Jacobs Engineering, uh, I think there could be a challenge with these more shovel-ready projects of how do you get them going as soon as possible. When we look at the bills, though, and we look at the timelines for some of these bills in Washington, it's still going to take time uh, for the Senate to formally approve it, for the House to approve it, for it to be signed into law. We could be looking at least until you know September or later this year. Hopefully, the economy has become a little bit more um, you know less uh, less risky in the supply chains of of commodities and in labor. Yeah, we've already started to hear some companies push out their expectation of a renewal of regular supply chains from the end of this year to some starting to talk about early next year, which is not a good sign. It's not. I mean, if you try to go uh, get your a contractor for your house or get some new furniture, you can tell what stage of life I'm in, but buying furniture in your house <laughs> right now is a lengthy process. Which Rester, which RH loved in their last conference call. Well, this Jacobs Engineering, just a fascinating company uh, and Jay Jacobs, no relation. Thank you for no bringing really. it to our attention. Jay Jacobs of Global X with Jacobs Engineering, although he's not with Jacobs Engineering, but he's with us and we're glad to have him. Jay Jacobs, thank you very much. All right, up next, the drill down bite, that one number to tell us a whole lot. We talked about the company's reliance on government contracts. Well, where is that right now? What percentage of their business is government contracts? How did that compare to the previous year? We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA's A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're listening to the show every day. We would really appreciate it if you come leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast platform. It'll let the uh, podcast platforms know how much you appreciate the drill down and let other listeners find us as well. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. 
right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, we talked about this company's reliance on government work. Well, indeed, in, tw- in 2019, it was uh, 27% of their business. But in last year, when their business actually did pretty well during the pandemic, a full third, 33% of the revenues from this company were coming straight from the U.S. government. So if you have U.S. government spending is going to uh, go up by 150% towards infrastructure, yeah, you can see Jay Jacobs' point that this company might benefit with a third of their business coming from the government in infrastructure. They may be a beneficiary because they're teed up to do more. Absolutely. That is the rising tide, right? Yeah, 100%. Uh, maybe not all ships, but they are right in the right spot, uh, perhaps at the right time. We shall see. All right. Well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.